Jerry Fragon and Doug Connolly work for Taylor Fragon Capital Management. All opinions expressed should not be relied upon for your individual investment advice. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Taylor Fragon Capital Management and its clients may maintain positions in securities discussed. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Taylor Fragon Capital Management. If you are a Taylor Fragon client, please remember to contact Taylor Fragon in writing if there are any changes in your personal financial situation or investment objectives for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, or revising our previous recommendations and or services, or if you would like to impose, add, or to modify any reasonable restrictions to our investment advisory services. A copy of Taylor Fragon Capital Management's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request. Welcome once again to the Long Only Podcast, episode 49, creeping up on number 50, golden episode. We thought we'd go this long. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm Doug. And I'm Jerry. So Jerry... How is it going? Good. All right. Good job, too. <laughs> Jerry's about to go to the feces stained streets of San Francisco for some business. So have fun with that. I will. All right. I'm not actually going to San Francisco. I'm staying on the peninsula. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. So. Well, it's a much better place. <laughs> <laughs> By the time uh, people listen to this, though, you're presumably going to be back and alive. So, yes, hopefully. Yes. The, yeah, the episode last week's episode, we got real, I mean, we, I would say we got political, but I really don't think it's that controversial. I mean, I think we said a stuff, that's the problem is you say stuff that is so ridiculously obvious that you feel like, oh, oh water is wet. Oh, hot take. And then, you know, and, and, but it, but it needs to be said. Still, that's where we are. Well, you when it, when you live in a time where right is wrong and wrong is right, it everything that what once would consider has been considered normal is now abnormal. So, go figure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the problem is, is that if you don't affirm the obvious, it will be taken away from you, as we see. Yeah. So that's the, that's where we are right now. So, I, I remember being. Uh, in my twenties or late teens and twenties and going to going to college. And I was, you know, conservative then, but obviously I wasn't politically, I wasn't generally politically active or anything like that. Cause I don't know. Most of the people were politically it active was. in college. Well, <laughs> it was the nineties. Most of the people were politically active in college. Either way, I'm a little bit initially suspicious of it's like they want it too bad. You know, you shouldn't be. Well, I think our era, and you know, you're much younger than I am, but not that much younger. I mean, we were, Post the 60s, 70s era, which was very active, right, on college campus. And I think we were in that mode, which was everybody was like, I'm done with that. Let's go out and get it, you know, make money. Well, and, and let's, uh, but I, I thought, you know, the, back then it was kind of fun to bag on being PC. Uh, it was, you know, Clinton was president, things like that. And, and it was seen as, uh, and I, I saw it mostly as, yeah, I mean, the PC is kind of dumb, but it's, it's kind of alarmist. And now we see like all the alarmists were absolutely right. See, I was, right. I was in college when Ronald Reagan was president. So it's a little different. A little different. I, well, yeah, but those the 80s and 90s were much more similar to each other than the 90s definitely. are now. Yeah, so yeah, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it stink to be in college right now? Ugh. 
No, let's not awful. talk about that. I'll get shivers. It will be awful. Absolutely awful. Talk about just the, just the, so much of the experience would be online. Just, ah, awful. There's pro, there's an investment theme in the re the reinvention of education, including post-secondary. May, and that fact, that might be the place that we need to start now. We probably need to start with the youngest first, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's been, uh, it's been a, a rocky road for, uh, for education in the last few years with all of this COVID stuff. Well, the, I, I found out that found out about this on another advisor's website. So it's not original to us, but I was just perusing one of their, their blog and they mentioned in their podcast that, so I'm telling you, I'm ripping someone off. I'm just not telling you who, but they mentioned in their podcast, these, these college advisors, who you know, it's college counselors who if they start working with kids in seventh grade, parents are paying seven hundred fifty grand to get them into elite schools. Yeah, it's nuts. That is financial Darwinism because it's those nuts. people, those people deserve to go broke. <laughs> it, 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 there certainly needs to be a correction in 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 education, no doubt. We're we're overdue for a correction in the insanity of the costs of education and the. And frankly, the the curriculum that seems to be most prevalent in, in in education nowadays, certainly at least public education, both you know from early you know kindergarten up to post secondary. But you know we've we tried at one point to invest in the post secondary for profit uh, education space. We thought there was certainly a theme there, and there was. But boy, I tell you the the whether it's the lobby or just the pure public education, you know, not-for-profit public education, you know, infrastructure or oligopoly or call it whatever you want, was very powerful and enough that, you know, essentially those four profits were taken apart. And, and, and not to suggest that they, there may not have been abuses. And in fact, they benefited from the same thing that post-secondary education has benefited from for a long time, which is the, the, government support uh, backing of, of, of debt for, for college. And that has to, you know, that has to be one of the most, all in the interest of trying to do the right thing. I'm not, I'm not even going to suggest it was nefarious necessarily. Um, it may be now, but at one point it was, you know, we want people to be educated. Sure. We want people to be educated, but as soon as the government got behind backing debt for college, you know, prices went through the roof and, you know, you were, you were, had colleges competing for who could build the biggest, most widely sought after resort. That's <laughs> basically what it's come down to. And we've said before, the two biggest places where there's mispricing and, and misallocation of resources is in education and healthcare. And what are the two places where government is most prevalent in, you know, in backing the, the, the consumption of, of, of items? It's in those two, two sectors or those two spaces. Um, housing being the third. Uh, well, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't really pretend that the, our current ability to, re- to invest in real estate isn't highly, highly related to fractional reserve banking. Oh, it's completely, but now you're, you know, now you're getting into the banking side. I'm just saying purely the, the government financing of, of housing. Again, think of all these three things. We, we want people to be healthy. 
We want people to be educated. We want them to have a house or have, you know, a shelter over their head. Sounds good to me. So they all sound great. But, but if, you know, as you're wading through the results of government involvement in it, it's been nothing short of a disaster. I mean, the fact that the average young person, or let's say, let's take the average young couple, they still exist out there. Couple gets married, wants to have a family or has a family coming. How do they buy a house now? I mean, it's almost anywhere. There's still a few pockets, I think, out there. But but we've experienced here in the Valley that um, in the last few years, housing's just exploded. And again, it's, it's, it's largely debt driven. Let me push back on that just a tad. Because obviously you're you're there's some truth there, but then again, you know your name's on the company, so you can be right. But I don't, do, I don't have do you, to be right. Do you I'm think more than willing to be? I wish I was wrong. But do you think also that maybe just the standard compared to other countries, the standard of what of what a young couple is even entitled to, quote unquote, you know, quote, finger quotes around entitled, is so blown out of whack. I mean, the fact that people in their twenties can even afford a our, you know, our starter homes are probably nicer than what, what most people in other countries end up in. I mean, well, now you're talking about a standard of living issue, which sure, we yes. should, I think there's nothing wrong with. I think we should be pursuing better standards of living. And generally speaking, in the United States, we have had better standards of living compared to, for example, Western Europe. But what's Western Europe primarily been doing over the last 60 years post World War II? They've been building what is essentially socialist governments, a socialist system um, that has kept growth pretty muted between one and a half and two percent historically, um, which sounds like, well, which is what's wrong with that? Well, I've talked about this before. Every little bit of growth that's shaved off means the lower socioeconomic rungs of the ladder suffer. We have had a much higher average growth rate over the last 60 years in America. We've succeeded in recent years of looking of, of, pre, of making our system look a lot more like Western Europe. And so we should expect that those standards of living will drop. But I don't think I don't think we need to say it's it's look at what they you know, are, are we going to suggest that young families should be entitled to, you know, a 2000 square foot house with three bedrooms and two bathrooms and you know, a two-car garage, well, well, listen, no, it's not entitlement, but we certainly would like to create an environment where standards of living are such that that's possible. Well, I meant when I <laughs> finger quotes around entitlement again, because I meant the norm, you know, not, not that they're actually, they deserve it, but what we've, what we've come to view as the norm might just be something that is, to use a buzzword, unsustainable. It, it might be, it might be. I mean, the, I guess the question that would be asked, and I think, I think it can be answered, but the question that, that would, and I will answer it by the way, is would there have been a, would it have been better standard of living had we not financed this massive build out of, of housing? I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, and by the way, this exploded in the seventies. If you go back and look at, at that prior to that, which was a reasonably decent amount of time post-World War II. Because remember, the baby boom came in in World War II, and we had to build massive housing to, to you know, house these new families that were coming on board. My career, World War II, you know, largely birthed the middle class. Yeah, and, and you know, you look at, uh, I, I remember our first house in, in San Mateo in the Bay Area was just, I, I wish I had either at least taken a picture of it or ripped it off the wall of the garage. There was a, 
old like sales sticker, like um, price tag. I, I'll call it a price tag for this classic World War II. It was 1956, I think was the date. Don't wash it with the price tag. Yeah. It was a classic post-World War II home in, 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 in San Mateo, not in the fancy area at all. And the price tag in 1956 was something like, it was 5000 something. Okay. I remember paying $285,000 for that home in 1990. So 34 years later, the price of that home went from 5000 something to $285,000. Now, from from two thousand or from nineteen fifty six, probably until nineteen late nineteen sixties, if not nineteen seventy, that price didn't move much. Or it, it it didn't it didn't go to one hundred and fifty thousand or one hundred seventy five thousand, and then by nineteen ninety, it was at uh, you know two hundred eighty five thousand. Now it was still I don't know what it was, but I can almost assure you that it was you know probably something maybe the price of that house doubled from in the in the 14 years from 1956 to 1970. I didn't know real estate could double without COVID. <laughs> so what caused that was just a continued push towards home ownership, more and more home ownership on the part of the, so it was an agenda of the Community Reinvestment Act, which actually started, I believe, in 1977. I think it might have may, may have been earlier. Um, was it passed by Congress to promote home ownership? We had a, a redo of it, I think, in 1997, which largely I would argue led to the 08, a lot of what was wrong with the 0809 housing bubble. But my point is, is we really pushed this, um, you know, this home ownership thing. So again, home ownership. Education, healthcare—they've all been government got into the into the game, and, it, and it's really distorted things. Now, going back to the point of, of standards of living, and um, you know, is there you, you were talking about entitlement, or what, you know, I think really what you're talking about—well, forget entitlement, or you know, what is a, a reasonable housing structure for a new family starting out. Well, I think more succinctly, my point is just in pushing back against my own inclination to blame the government for everything, how much of what we perceive as our, as our normal, reasonable standard of living is due to government decisions and government okay, so policies. That's what I want to address. I mean, I think, I think, I think it, it will, anytime that much money is chasing something, it's just the old inflation story, too much money chasing too few goods. Anything, anytime that much money is chasing something, the price is obviously going to be affected to, to the upside. As we've all seen. As we have all seen. I don't know that, I, I don't know in the absence of that, if the phenomenon wouldn't have happened anyway, it just would have happened without the exorbitant price. Okay. Because there's been, what, what ultimately drives economic growth, or let me, let me back up, what ultimately drives real estate and housing is innovation coming from business, from the business sector and innovation growth, call it what you want. The, 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 the increase in, in creative products and services that come out of the business, the private sector that then drive employment and 
and, you know, incomes and allow for people to be able to spend money on consumption items like a home. Now, no doubt a home would likely be one of, if not the largest consumption item that a, that a young couple would ever, would ever purchase. But the percentage of their wealth that is dedicated to purchasing that home today far, it far exceeds what it might have been in the 1950s and 60s. And I would challenge that those people may not be living in any worse of a house if they if with the continued growth in the economy. Um, had we not had this massive debt build up in order to finance, might it have? I would even suggest that it might have not happened at any slower pace because one of the things, and, 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 you know, Peter Thiel talks about this in his book, zero to one co-written by Blake masters, by the way, was basically talking about, you know, if it wasn't for government involvement in so much of it, of industry and the economy and putting their tentacles and everything over the last 50, 60 years, we would have had a whole lot more success already. We would have been way further ahead. So many would argue, Oh, well, gee, the, you know, we wouldn't have had the kind of growth in the economy and growth in the in, in, in housing that we've had if it weren't for government providing the liquidity for people to be able to do. I say nonsense because as much as they pushed those things, their involvement in, 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 in tinkering in other parts of the economy stultified growth, stultified innovation and creativity. Had, had it all been allowed to work on its own, I think we would ha- we, we wouldn't have this misallocation of capital. And that's what this has been. It wouldn't cost so much to, 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 house your, to house your family, to provide healthcare for your family, to provide an education for your family. Well, and, I, and my question was, those points are all taken. My question is part of the desire by me to sort of check all my impulses. I mean, every once in a while, you hear people complain about Big Pharma. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not down with everything Big Pharma does. But when, you, when you're criticizing the whole medical establishment and how unnecessary many things in modern medicine are, you know, consider the fact that you're not, you're, that, you know, the average man isn't five foot three and dying at the age of 45. Right. I mean, we, we have to take the good with the bad and all this. But, Agree. I, but I think anyone, as I've been trying to call um, my insurance and, company. And I would argue, hold on that thought. I would argue with respect to pharma, as long as you brought it up, once again, if it weren't for this symbiotic relationship between government and the pharmaceutical industry as evidenced by the way drugs are approved through the FDA and who's involved in that and where they come from and what, you know, are they truly independent? No, they're not. It's this constant, you know, incestuous relationship between the industry and government that causes the problem. So there's another example I will give you of government involvement in the economy that has not helped us. And now it's even created situations where how bad is it that we have that we can't necessarily trust our healthcare system anymore with what happened with COVID and what's happening with drugs and why are drug companies so focused on vaccines because the liability is, you know exposure from there from the vaccine side of the equation is significantly different and the more you push vaccine it's a much broader uh, you know populist I, I think we've gotten away from just pure the pure science of, of what the pharmaceuticals and the miracles that the pharmaceuticals oh, clearly. I mean, have brought to the equation. You can't, inqu- you can't, there's no, not, there's no open inquiry. Right. And that's what, I mean, that's why, that's why all the, you know, you've seen lawsuits. But you were talking out. about your insurance. Well, yeah, my, my, with the insurance, I, I don't, I just want to make sure that, you know, I check my impulse to not be too, too broad, overreaching when, and what we, and how I, you know, how I criticize. So the, 
But I think anyone can, but coming back to your point, call try to get help, good help from your insurance company on something. Try to find out what something actually costs beforehand, which actually we were able to do roughly on my wife's most recent pregnancy, but not, not something, not something normally they're able to do. There, you can, you can see the inefficiencies are on their face. Anyone who wants to see them can. Absolutely. And, well, that's my point. Yeah. So we, we have a roundabout way to getting to. I'm talking about that, both sides of my mouth, but largely I agree with you. I just want to make. Well, but, but we're a roundabout way of getting to the point that I don't buy that we would have less standard of living if it weren't for all of this, because that's what your argument was going to be, or your, your statement was, would we have had this level of standards had we not spent, you know, financed with debt, um, the, the, the healthcare, or I, I'm sorry, we were specifically talking about the housing, housing market. And I challenge it, it would at least be the same and maybe better, maybe better because it would have been a much more efficient and a better allocation of resources. Well, and then again, maybe what if we all are we all are living in a smaller house, but the government doesn't have so much power? I mean, it could be that maybe the answer is both is kind of both and because you know not every not every twenty twenty year old couple of, needs a twenty five hundred square foot house. Well, I think most of us would would say um, you, you can't know the answer to that question. I don't think, but most of us would say. You know, if it, based on what we've experienced here in the last few years, if 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 it means getting government out, yeah, I'll take the smaller yeah. house. But I don't think that's what that needed to happen. That's that's the point I want to make. Is I don't think that needed to happen. I don't. I think we would have we would have grown just fine without. You know, maybe it would have taken a little longer. You know, but it's it's kind of the whole you know societal thing of I want I want what I want and I want it now. You know. Um, and again, I, I think, look, I think all of these things, I'm not even going to say they were nefarious. It's just the nature of government expenditure and the nature of bureaucracy. It goes in a direction that you, you have of unintended consequences. And I think we have to face the reality in this country and in this world that that is that that's what what's happened. We've we've created this Leviathan that trying to put the put it back in the bottle, put the genie back in the bottle is true, proving to be very difficult. Um, well, at the end of the day, you're resting on the point that government is inefficient and attempts to help often turn in, turn in on themselves. It and always, it's, it's, it's almost axiomatic. It always is. And, it, and unfortunately it always will be, which is why it's so important to grow private businesses because we have to have that offset. And we should be thankful that still today government is, 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 is still in the minority as far as its expenditures in the overall economy. Um, although I did just hear recently, I, and I've, I've been working off of this kind of low 20% of the economy um, number as far as what exposure government you know, has in the economy. Unfortunately, that doesn't take into consideration state expenditures. That's federal government. Um, and I saw some numbers recently that it, when adding state expenditures in, it's closer to, it's like 40%, I, give or take. I don't have that exactly right, but it was quite a bit more. Um, and, and I would argue largely coming from the big spending states, California, New York, Illinois, Mich- you know, Massachusetts, whatever. Um, <clears throat> we'll see. But I think, um, again, I, I'll, I will emphasize and pound the table on this is why it's so important that small business, that, that, that private business, you know, be, be, be given an opportunity to thrive and whatever we can do to, to, you know, make the playing field more level for 
small and growing businesses. And I say that because those, those are the innovative, that's where the innovations come from. It's not the big giant companies. That, they, they rest on laurels for years and years and decades. The, the true innovation comes from, from small up and coming companies that, you know, that really give us our full, they, they, they give us our growth. They, they employ what 80% of the, of the working public. We need to support them. All right, support your small businesses. Support Taylor for Gone because we support small businesses. We're a small business. We are a small business. And, but successful. So go to Instagram, taylorforgone.invest, and also rate us on iTunes and email us at longonly at taylorforgone.com. And of course, check us out at taylorforgone.com. And then until next week, I'm Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, Jerry. Bye, Doug. Bye. Bye.